Thank you, Noah and worship team and all of you for singing with us. Hey, everybody. I'm Pastor John Jay. I am the lead pastor here at FBC Pasadena. It's a big day for lots of reasons. One of which is it is uh, the first Sunday of our new year, of our new decade. And also I've been off from preaching for a week, so I'm like bursting with energy. So I figured the best thing to do today would be to slow myself down. And what I've done is written you a letter. This gave me a chance over the last couple of weeks to reflect on where we've been and where we're headed together. Uh, and also, hopefully, this can be a sort of practice that we continue forward over time. Each first Sunday of a year, me to have a chance to reflect a little bit more patiently and then to be able to share with you. So, I have a letter to the church in Pasadena. And if you are new with us, by the way, uh, this is not normally the way that I preach. Normally, I am all over the place with very little in my hands and all kinds of movement and energy. Um, I brought a stool and probably should have brought some like rope to tie myself to the stool. So I stay put. I probably won't. Um, also, the language in this is going to be a little bit different than what you would normally hear on a Sunday because it is written. I will also be sending this letter out to you next week so that you can have it and you can read it. Um, you heard our reading this morning from Deuteronomy 26. It is a good Sunday to take stock of where we've been together, of where God is leading us together in the next year and decade. Uh, and then after this teaching, after this letter, we're going to do two things together. One, we are going to, uh, for those who are willing, we're going to do something that's called like a renewing of the promises or the covenant together. Now, you may not be somebody who is uh, familiar with this congregation, and you may have made no promises to us or to one another. That is fine. Um, I would ask you to, to just listen to those around you as we say these words together. If you're part of this community, though, uh, this Sunday is the Sunday where we re-up on our life together, on our promises together, and our intentions. And then after that, we're going to share the table in communion. And the table is open for all, wherever they are on their journey of faith. Okay? Are we oriented? All right. <sighs> A letter to the church in Pasadena. So with all the force that I can muster, I'm sending you blessing and affection at this moment of transition. In the world's reckoning of time, we are crossing over between decades. The year of our Lord 2020 has found us. Are we ready for all that lies ahead in the next decade? Show of hands, show of hands, are we ready? That's like three people, and those three people are lying. It's not written here. <laughs> are we ready? No, we're not, surely not. We weren't really ready for the dramatic shifts the last 10 years carried, were we? We saw our lives migrate more fully, almost entirely, into digital spaces. Smartphones, social media, online propaganda. We were not prepared. This migration, it did not, in fact, heal our ancient wounds. We are still lonely at a systemic level. Our society has become more fearful, anxious, depressed, polarized. Can you feel this tension, this widening gap between the distance of our hopes and our lived experiences. I can feel it in my bones. Each time I read another article I know is written just to get me mad or scared. And even knowing this doesn't fully inoculate me to the effects because I find myself more angry and scared than I should be. I can see it in the vacant eyes of people taking one more selfie video to post for promised dopamine hits of approval any bread or circus to distract us 
from what we cannot bear alone. Now, this digital consolidation of reality has resulted in our loss of connection to place and people. Last week, my own family, we all uh, did a hike at uh, Griffith Park, Griffith Observatory, and we were on the roof of the observatory together. The sunset, gorgeous sky, and glittering city. But most of the folks around us looking down into their screens, bumping into very real bodies also looking down at their screens. Now, everybody was somewhere else putting on a digital show for some other unseen audience. No one is really here on this rooftop. We have, in fact, become profoundly disembodied, cut off from ourselves, one another, creation, and God. You should hear in that language the language of the wages of sin. Now, here's what you need to do. Look around you right now, just for a moment. Who's beside you? Who's behind you? Who's in front of you? Within touching distance, please do not touch them. (laughs) Here's the thing. The very fact, the very fact that our community practices are deeply embodied is itself a miracle that we often miss most Sundays. This is actually the thing I try to bring myself into with the most awareness as I head to church each Sunday at around 8.30. That we are about to do something radically different than I ever do any other time in my life. We're going to be together in one space with one intention, joined together for one purpose. We are truly here together, exchanging sighs and joys beyond language, sharing smiles and embrace that for many might be the only human contact they receive all week. Tell me. This is not the work of God's people. Of course it is. But could it be just this simple? The beginning journey, in fact, might. To finally found a community where you can begin to take off the layers of armor and posturing. Where you can be fully present as fully you. Come on. This is approximately heaven. Now, our social in our ecological location, it matters to how we live out our faith moving forward. So a bit more about my own social location. I live with my family, my wife, two kids, and our dog at the intersection of Claremont and Los Robles. I sort of know some of my neighbors. The further a house is from my own house, though, the more obscure the people become. But knowing any neighbors these days is a bit of a miracle, is it not? Our modern lives are designed to isolate us from the very connections that might, in fact, make us whole. Many of us are strangers to our own lives. The way the Bible talks about this, the book of Genesis, is this is low tove. This is not good. And yet, by the way, if there is a biblical phrase that carries a lot of weight and gumption and chutzpah, it's and yet. We are not abandoned to this isolation. Our church community, you all here right now, exist as a counterfactual to the systems of this world. This miracle of belonging arises from the very heart of God, most viscerally known in the witness of Jesus who we call the Christ. Now, our lostness, our loneliness, and our listlessness, these are in fact the illusions The big reality is our foundness, 
our togetherness, and our aliveness. Our work is not to make this true. Here's the temptation for us as Christians. Often we feel like we have to make these things true. Our work is not to make this true, but to believe that God has already made it so. Our church does not have a set of mission strategies to save the world. The church is God's mission. You are God's plan, which seems risky on God's part, right? More personally, I don't have a ministry. In the words of Eugene Peterson, I don't have a ministry. I simply have a life. I pray, and now this is my prayer to you and a bit of my promise to you. I pray my life has more congruence with the very best version of the story God is trying to tell through me and my people. So I commit, and we're recording this, so I can't get out of it. Uh, I commit to live my life in view of God and God's people, such that struggle and service are given bodily witness. I will keep being honest about what I see and know, and also what I cannot see and I do not understand. Now, all I ask is that you do the same by the power of God. Now, for many of you all who are newer here, you seem to share a response I had when I first found this community three years ago. Usually it's, it's like one or two often mixed things, gratitude and hope. I'm really grateful for this church, for you. Now, you know who are most often the most cynical people ever? Can you guess? I should read it. Pastors. We've seen it all, heard it all, felt it all. This vocation, in fact, can be brutalizing. Those of you who have done this, who've retired from this, who've tried this, you are nodding inside if you are not nodding physically. The vulnerability needed is a liability in most church communities. I could tell you stories, but I'm not allowed to write them until I'm retired. Or if we get coffee and you promise you're not recording our conversation. But truly, it is difficult to sustain a living faith while navigating the politics of church life. But somehow, ah, this is the end yet again, right? Somehow I continue to be surprised by this congregation's generosity of spirit. So what drew me here in the first place? There's a sincerity of the people I keep meeting, a willingness to trust God and one another with the future. You are all so quirky, so unexpected, and so compelling. I told the deacons last year during one of our, our board meetings that I had one of my midnight epiphanies. I don't know if you're like me, but often, right before I fall asleep, my brain loosens up just enough that all of a sudden, all of these things I've been carrying around, they find this kind of like new connection. They coalesce into what I often think is a brilliant insight. Then I write it down, and then I read it the next morning, and I think, what just happened? This is one of those times. I told the board that I conceived of, of my own work here as pastor, and then kind of more broadly, my own work as human, uh, and our purpose under, under this like set of phrases, this language was what I wrote down. It said, my work is to help you become the best version of yourself. And then to give that self away. It's like really, really simple. Do you know that this is the way of Christ? In fact, whenever I wrote it down, 
that night before I fell asleep, I went and looked it up uh, the other day. I titled that The Jesus Way. Become the best version of who God has made you to be and then give that self away. Jesus is, in fact, the best version of God's love and presence embodied in human flesh. And then that very goodness is shared with creation whom God so dearly loves. For God loved the world that he sent Jesus. And God still loves the world and continues to send Christ's church. You, 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 me. One author I read often is this uh, writer named James Rebanks. Uh, he writes about his own vocation as a modern shepherd and writer. And the end of his memoir uh, has this line that I've carried with me. Uh, he says he's, he's in the grass. He's got his, his sheep around him and his dog and uh, he's laying down looking up at the sky. And he says in his heart and then writes in his memoir, this is my life. I want no other. This is where I find myself these days. So a little bit more about why I am so grateful to be your pastor. I believe that we are uniquely constituted to resist the temptations and pitfalls that other churches and communities of faith will break under in this next spiritual season. We're going to get real for a second. This bears repeating, so let me slow this part down because it is super important. Right now, we are experiencing what is known as the collapse of Christendom. Again, right now we are experiencing the collapse of what we know as Christendom. It's a fancy word for culture steeped in the language and practices of a certain faith tradition, regardless of the sincerity of those convictions. Now, as someone who grew up in various expressions of Christianity or of church or of denomination or of style, I can say with true authority that cultural Christianity is buckling under the weight of its own idolatry. In all honesty, many of the most popular expressions of Christianity look absolutely nothing like the way of Jesus. The sinner is not going to hold much longer. Now, I spend insane amounts of time each week reading and studying the Bible. I truly love it. The way it witnesses the complexity of human experience and the consistency of God, the good and the bad, and the more I learn, the more I find is illuminated. I spend a lot of time praying for you all, for my family and myself, for our neighbors living so close to the bones, sleeping under tarps and tents. This prayer and this study, it's a core part, a rhythm, a practice of my identity as pastor. And it continues to lead me to this place of honesty. So let me continue with the honesty. Christendom is faltering because it has been sick for some time now. It has become sick in the same way that the Bible describes other systems that have fallen apart. Why do you think we have so many stories of collapse in the Bible? East of Eden is in fact not a physical place as much as it is a state of mind. The garden is walled off and our ancestors are sent into the wild places. The world is filled with violence. As the floodwaters rise in response. The tower of Babel is built to our fear and ego. And it's abandoned as the people are scattered. The wilderness rebellions after the exodus. The kingdom of Israel splintering and being exiled. Roman occupation of Israel and faint hopes of a militant Messiah that might save them. Recently, 
It's looked like an American church more concerned with power and image than love of God and love of God's creation. And the whole temple is collapsing in front of us. Every week, every week, someone sends me another article or another book about how people are abandoning the church, losing their faith. So much hand-wringing, so much fear, so much to confess. And I just don't have time or interest in pretending things are otherwise. This is, in fact, where the public witness of the church, Big C Church, stands. So then there's the question. What are we going to do about it? What, contri- what contribution will we offer to our neighbors, our cities, our families? What story are we going to tell? A few years back, after another black man was killed by state violence, the artist uh, Lecrae wrote a song in response. It was called Facts. I highly recommend it to you. It starts with the voice singing the refrain, I will only tell the truth. It's brilliant music if you've listened to it, but it's brutal language. So let me just read a few lines for you. Now these people swear they own me, sending out threats. They told me to keep my mouth shut. Told me be a step and fetch it. I will not oblige to your colonized way of faith. My Messiah died for the world, not just the USA. They say Jesus was conservative, so tell them that's a lie. No, he's not a liberal either if you think I'm choosing sides. They say, Cray, you're so divisive. There shouldn't be a black church I say, do the math, segregation started that first. And then this line, you want unity? Then read a eulogy. Kill the power that exists up under you and over me. And just for good effect, he repeats the line, if you want unity, then you're going to have to read a eulogy, kill the power that exists up under you and over me. And then a little bit later in the song, as it closes out, he says, I was waiting for the right time to tell you how I feel, and yeah, I know it's going to hurt, but look, it's going to heal. I love that line. I listen to this song weekly because its words and its tone, I can hear something that I crave as somebody who deals with language professionally, an honest assessment of our condition. One man's vision of how the church has been held captive to the devil. Ask girls and women what it felt like to grow up in churches led by men who've abused their trust or their bodies, their sense of dignity and purpose. Y'all know this. We have to look at it. We have to name it and confess it, ask for forgiveness. We all carry around the wounds from broken versions of faith. You've told me your stories, and I've been listening. So many more people would be in church with hands raised to God in praise, if not for the hundreds of times that faith was turned into a weapon against their humanity, bodies that do not conform, desires that do not comport, wrong color, wrong sex, wrong politics. But are these not the exact same people who Jesus embraced? Are those not the very same parts of us that we are terrified to show God or the church, yet the parts of us we crave bringing into the light? This is true for me. This is honestly why I love you all so much. I'm grateful each week. For the first time and as long as I can remember, I can be myself in the midst of God's people can feel myself embraced by God because you all have embraced me with affection that feels real, feels deep, feels sacred. Come on. 
This is the kingdom. Each Sunday we build it, turn it over in our hearts, tell one another about it. We bear witness to the stubborn love of God who refuses to leave us crumbling under the weight of our own fears and complicit participation in systems of brokenness. Which brings me to hope. We have a chance here. And this is what I've been thinking about and obsessing about for the last half a year, month, week. We have a chance here to build a community of faith on the way of Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the losers kind of place. In Pasadena as it is in heaven kind of place. A community of forgiveness, of mutual struggle with the impossible demands of faith. The affections of God born in our heart, nurtured in our gatherings. And shared with all who God loves, which happens to be everyone and everything. For God so loved the cosmos and you and me. What an extravagance. What a story we get to tell. Now, this particular community, First Baptist Church of Pasadena, January of 2020, is textured by a multiplicity of experiences, backgrounds, and cultures, all joined together under the common story of God in Christ making a way where there was no way, breaking the power of death and releasing us from the slavery of fear. If we can keep it, this complexity which with we embody is both a gift and a source of our strength. Four, in a world conditioned on smaller and smaller tribes of exclusion, ours is trying to be a community of embrace. Which finally brings me to our scripture for this morning from Deuteronomy 26. It's a passage about communal memory, which asks us as readers to become participants in the retelling and reconstituting of history in the present. So Moses places the future in front of them. When you come into this land flowing with milk and honey, he places the future in front of them as well as the past, pulls time into now, into this moment. When you come into the good land, do not forget how you got here or where you came from. Bring your offerings forward and set them back into the sacred flow of generosity from which it came, returning it to God and to God's world. And then remind one another that God did this, rescued and freed, protected and provided this deep remembering, none of which is simplistic or nostalgic. I am bored with nostalgic faith. This will become the bedrock of your joy. For those still stuck in Egypt, the land of narrow possibilities, this remembering will ignite a vision of the future that might sustain life in the present. It will become, in fact, an occasion of exuberance. Rejoice in all the good. This is what it says, verse 11. Rejoice in all the good. Celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given you and your house with the Levites and with the strangers among you. Not just you, your joy is supposed to be shared, must be shared with stranger and friend until such a time as the kingdom has arrived in its fullness. Until then, we keep our eyes fixed on Christ, seeing the world through Christ's gaze 
until love suffuses all our vision and crowds out all the darkness of this present age by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am glad that you are my people, those who help me and one another stay on the path. So I'm going to end this letter with a send-off that I write often whenever I'm writing each of you handwritten letters that I would be, that we would be, God's church would be much less without you. Lovingly, Pastor John Jay. Would you pray with me? God, we crave an honest assessment of the world as it is and as you imagine it might be. Crave an honest vision of who we are and who we might become. We would like to reckon with our shadow sides so that we might in fact see true light. And we are tired of hiding or pretending or posturing about our full humanity in the midst of your people. So give us the courage to be frail and fragile in public, to be vulnerable and open. Make us generous of spirit, leading with joy even in the midst of suffering. Full of the kind of memory that can put the world back together in the present and send the future out in language so that we might chase it like a sign and a goal. Pursuing not only our own wholeness, but the wholeness of all of creation, of all that you love. Because your love is much bigger than we could imagine and reaches past even what we hate. So purify our intentions this day. Hear these promises we speak to one another and back to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. So on the screen, we're going to put these words up here uh, about renewing our promises together. And uh, I'm going to ask if you're able to, if you would stand. It's good to sort of get our bodies into the moment together. Um, Brian, would you put up the first slide here? The, the first section is going to be for all of us to read for the next few slides. And at the very end will be a slide for the leader, for me. And I will say these words over you. Like I said before, I invite all of you who consider this your community of faith to read along with us, to take these words in. In fact, there might be some wisdom in taking a moment to read them before we say them. Uh, so, Brian, would you just move through them as a reading pace, and then we'll come back to the start, and we'll say them together? As you're reading these, yeah, take them into your heart. If these words are not for you yet, then just simply listen to this community of faith as we say them to one another and to God. Let's go to the next one. And the next one. The next one. Okay. And the last one will be from me. Let's go to the start, Brian, and we'll say these words together. I'm going to ask you to join me and your friends and family in this reading as you are able. Creating and redeeming God. We give thanks and praise. Your covenant of grace was made for our salvation in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We come this day to covenant with you and with our companions in discipleship.
to watch over each other and to walk together before you in ways known and still to be made known. Pour down your spirit on us. Help us to walk in your ways so that the promises we make this day and the life we live together may become an offering of love, our duty and delight, truly glorifying to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This day we give ourselves again to the Lord and to each other. To be bound together in fellowship and to work together in the unity of the Spirit for the sake of God's mission. You may be seated.